Here, all the buzz was about the Mayans. Uh, the Mayans were pre- predicted uh, the end of the world in December 21st, 2012. Uh, you know, it's what, January 6th? Um, I was driving up in Independence the other day, and I drove past a, a, a little uh, event hall that you could rent for special events, and they had a sign out front on the street, and it said, uh, End of the World Party, December the 21st. Under it, it said, New Year's Eve Party, December 31st. <laughs> so I guess they weren't putting much stock in the Mayans, but hey, let's party. Um, you may have seen this photo uh, circulating around on the web. Uh, I got a kick out of it. Uh, uh, the one on the left is the Mayan calendar, and the one on the right is the Oreo cookie. Uh, personally, I don't get too worked up over Mayans or Oreos. Uh, if I want to know about the future, if I want to know about prophecy, I go to the Bible. Uh, you know, the Bible has a lot of, uh, to say uh, about the future. Christ made two interesting statements that, that, that are helpful for us. Uh, the first one is in Mark thirteen thirty-two. He says this. He says, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So if someone predicts that this is the day, this is the hour that Christ is going to come back, uh, you can almost be pretty certain that it is not going to happen that day. Because Jesus said nobody knows. The angels don't know. Christ doesn't know. Only God the Father knows, and he's not telling. Now, there are a lot of verses uh, that tell us that Christ's return will be a surprise Uh, He is going to come quickly. He will come suddenly. He will be startlingly. Just when you think he's not coming, he's here. Uh, Like a thief in the night. Now Jesus also said said this, and and I like the message paraphrase uh, because I think it, it communicates. It says, you have a saying that goes, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, sailors take warning. And what Christ is saying is, is that, you know, you can predict the weather if you look at the sky. Uh, he says, you find it easy enough to forecast the weather. Why can't you read the signs of the times? In other words, there will be signs that let us know that this is the season of Christ's coming. And just like you can predict a change in the weather, uh, Christ says, uh, you can see evidences of the season of Christ's return. Uh, And and the Bible has a lot to say about it. In fact, over 20%, over one-fifth of the Bible is prophecy related to future events. And today we're starting a three-part series called The End. Now, there's far more information about the end times in the Bible than what I can cover in three weeks. And, uh, you know, some pastors devote their life to the study of prophecy, devote their ministry to preaching about the end times. Uh, I've chosen not to do that. My impression is that those that do wind up a little weird. And uh, I've just wanted to be more balanced in my life. But in this series, I do want us to capture some key thoughts about the future. And one of the main things that I want to do is to give you some hope. Because one of the differences between the Bible and other prophetic voices is that the Bible offers hope. I saw this cartoon um, in December Uh, It says uh, December 21st, the Mayans are predicting doom. And then December 25th, uh, you know, the Bible predicts hope. The, The first coming of Christ was all about hope. 
The second coming of Christ is all about hope. Now, as believers, we don't have to face an uncertain future with, with a sense of doom, with a sense of fear or foreboding. I mean, even as we, we see the signs of trouble, of tribulation ahead, even as we hear of wars and rumors of wars, even as earthquakes and volcanoes rock the earth and darken the sky, other natural signs of the end times, Christ wants us as believers to have hope. So I want to lay a foundation for that hope today out of 1 Thessalonians 4. Now next week we're going to look at what happens after uh, Christ returns. Uh, how are Christians judged? How are non-Christians judged? What's heaven like? The third week we're going to look at snapshots from Revelation. Now we're going to look at some important verses that just lay out for us key events in the end times. But today I want to start with 1 Thessalonians 4. And I want to give you a little bit of the context for this. Uh, early Christians were convinced that Jesus Christ could return at any moment because that's what he said. They thought he was going to come back soon because that's what he said. And so as time went on and as believers began to die, those who were still alive began to wonder, well, what happens to our believing friends and loved ones who die? Are they going to have any part in this? Are they just left out of what happens when Christ returns? And so Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, to describe what happens to those who die before Christ returns. Now, many of us have loved ones who have died, and you may be wondering, well, you know, what's going to happen with them in all of this? 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us. I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll kind of march through it. It says, Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe, and here he gives the essence of Christianity, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, we who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's what I want to do today. I want to encourage you with these words because we have three reasons for hope that we find as we, uh, we look at this passage. The first reason for hope is Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. He said it in John 14, 3. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I will return and take you to be with me so you also may be where I am. Jesus said, I'm, I will return. I will come back and get you. In the early church, they, they were so excited about the return of Christ that they actually had a, a greeting that they would use with each other. Uh, when they would meet each other at church or in the marketplace, uh, they would shake hands and they would say, Welcome to Rockbrook. Glad to have you here. No, that's not what they would say. They would say, Maranatha. And Maranatha means 
Christ is coming. The Lord is returning. I am excited about it. I am anticipating it. There was a deep sense of anticipation from Christian to Christian. Maranatha, he's coming back. Now look what Paul says about those who've already died. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Throughout this passage, it talks about those who are asleep in him. Now what does that mean? Is there some bored guy in the third row who's asleep in Jesus? No. Uh, it's just a poetic way of talking about death. Uh, you know, we do that. We, we use a lot of poetic euphemisms about death. We talk about people crossing over Jordan or they kick the bucket or buy the farm. Uh, you know, we have expressions that we use. Well, Paul's just referring, he says they are asleep in him. Now, the image of being asleep in Jesus is actually pretty accurate because as Christians, we don't technically die forever. We will enjoy life forever with Christ in heaven. So I think it's appropriate to refer to those who died as being asleep in Jesus. Now, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. It says, The Lord himself will come down. That's our hope. Now when Christ returns, what's going to happen? There's going to be a loud command, there'll be the voice of the archangel shouting, the trumpet call of God will blare, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Who are the dead in Christ? Believers who have died before Christ returns. And Paul told the Thessalonian believers, he says, your deceased loved ones are not going to be left out. In fact, they're going to rise first. Now, their bodies are resurrected right out of the graves, right out of the sea, whatever their resting place is, uh, they are going to be resurrected. Now, it doesn't tell us why the dead in Christ are, arise first. Uh, it was an old pastor's joke that one of the reasons is they have farther to go than the rest of us. Okay? But the reality is, is that the resurrection and our rapture are going to be almost simultaneous in time. It's not like, you know, we have to wait till the resurrection is complete before anything happens to us. Now, this resurrection stuff can become confusing because there's more than one resurrection. There are several resurrections. And uh, there's a resurrection for believers... Uh, for Christians, and there's another resurrection for those people who aren't. And, and, and just as there are different resurrections, there are different judgments. Christians are resurrected to go to the judgment seat of Christ. There it is determined what their rewards will be in heaven. Unbelievers are resurrected and judged at the great white throne judgment. And there they are determined that their name is not in the Lamb's book of life. They are separated from God and they're sent off to hell. So there's two different resurrections, there's two different judgments, there's two different destinations. Uh, scripture talks about the first resurrection this way in Revelation. It says, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. If you're part of the first resurrection, the second death has no power over you. Now what is the second death? Some people have said it this way. If you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. Here's what that means. Uh, first, all of us have been born one time. All of us have been born physically. 
Everybody in here, your mother labored, the doctor spanked you, and you were born physically. Okay? That's birth number one. Now, if you're only born once, you will die twice. You will die a physical death when your body dies, and then you will also experience the second death. That's that judgment in, Re- in Revelation where you are separated from God. And you're, hell is called the place of eternal death. But the good news, there's good news. The good news is if you're born twice, you'll only die once. Now, how in the world can you be born twice? Well, your mother labors, the doctor spanks you, you're born once physically. And then Jesus said in John chapter 3, he said that a person must be born what? Again. That's right. He said that you've got to be born a second time. You need a spiritual rebirth. And when he said that to Nicodemus, the guy he said it to, he said, well, how in the world was that possible? Can you go back into the mother's womb and be born a second time? Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. It's a spiritual birth. You're born physically and you're born spiritually. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are spiritually reborn. Your old life is gone. A new life has come. Uh, You're born once. You die twice. Born twice. You only die once. So here's our first hope. The first hope is the return of Jesus Christ. That's when the dead are resurrected, our believing loved ones' bodies are resurrected the day that Christ returns. Their spirits are already with Christ. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so when Christ returns, he's going to bring with him the spirits of our deceased loved ones, but their bodies are resurrected and their body and spirit are reunited on that, on that day. Our bodies are changed automatically on that day and, and we go to meet them. You know, God's plan is not for us to spend eternity without a body. God's plan is that we would have this body resurrected, glorified, perfected and, and that we would spend eternity in this body uh, with God. So our deceased uh, loved ones, uh, relatives, they're not going to miss out on any of this. They're just going to be resurrected first. Now there's a hope here for those of us who are alive when all this happens, and that's the rapture. And the rapture is when Christians are taken away. Like we saw in the video there, all those, those uh, bodies that you see going up, those were all believers. Uh, here's what it says in the text. It says, after that, after the resurrection of dead believers... We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You know, those who are still alive at that point, they're not left out either. You know, but what does God do with believers who are still alive? You know, we're not dead yet, so our bodies can't be resurrected. How do we get our new bodies? It says, we who are still alive and left will be caught up. And that word caught up is the Greek word harpazo. And it means to be seized, to be snatched up, to be rescued. The idea is you're there and then you're gone. Those who are still alive will be snatched away. You will be rescued in that day. Rescued from what? Well, the rapture happens in conjunction with the Great Tribulation. That's a seven-year time span uh, when the world experiences horrible, horrible things. Uh, There there is a one-world government. There's a dictator called the Antichrist who rules with a harsh hand. You can't buy anything or sell anything without the government's permission. There's the mark of the beast, the 666. 
Uh, the moon turns red, the, the seas and rivers turn to blood, uh, giant hailstones fall on the earth, there are plagues of locusts and other things, diseases, uh, the rivers and oceans are poisoned and the sea life dies, uh, earthquakes shake the earth, volcanoes darken the sky, millions and millions of people die. And then the thing culminates in the Battle of Armageddon, the last final world war. And in, in, in fact, in a phrase, it's the end of the world. That's what the rapture rescues believers from. Believers are snatched away. They are caught up. They are rescued from the Great Tribulation. Now, in Christian circles, evangelical, Bible-believing Christian circles, there are different views about the timing of the rapture in regards to the Tribulation. Are we going to be snatched away before, during, or at the end? So a pre-tribulation rapture, when you hear that phrase, that's a belief that Christians are rescued before the seven-year period of the tribulation begins. You're rescued before things get bad. Mid-tribulation is the belief that Christians are rescued in the middle of the tribulation. The second half of the tribulation is far worse than the first, and so that's the belief that we are rescued before things get really, really bad. The post-tribulation view is that believers are rescued right before Armageddon, right before the end, before everything finally blows up. So there's a view. Are you rescued before, in the middle, or at the end? Personally, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because I want to be on the first bus out. Okay? I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you. And I'm not a coward. But, you know, if there's a bus leaving, I want to be on the first one. Now, if that doesn't work out, then, then I'm going to become mid-trib. Because if I can't catch the first bus, I want to catch the second bus. Okay? That doesn't work out, then, you know, I'll take the third one. Actually, I'm what I call pan-tribulation. I believe it's all going to pan out in the end. Okay? God understands this stuff far better than I do. My hope is in Him, not in, in my personal timetable and theology. But whenever the rapture happens, it will be intensely dramatic. Jesus describes it this way in Matthew 24. He says, This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. And don't miss this. Here's the application. It says, So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect him. You know, Christ says, life is just going to be going on like normal. Two guys are going to be working together in the field, and all of a sudden one of them's gone, and the other one's still there wondering what happened. Uh, two women are going to be grinding uh, at the hand mill, and one of them's gone, the other one, they don't know. You know, in our context, a couple of people working together in, in, in their, uh, uh, their booths at work, typing away on the computer, and all of a sudden one of them's gone, and the other one's still there. A whole family may be seated around the dining table, and three are taken, three are left. Maybe a couple sitting in a church service like this. One of them's taken, one of them's left. You know, those who are believers in Jesus Christ go. Those who do not believe in Jesus Christ are left behind. That's what happens. Believers are rescued. Unbelievers are left. And so Christ says, you want to be ready. You want to be prepared for this. You want to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because Maranatha, Christ is coming. And we don't know when. And that's why this whole Mayan thing was a bust from the get-go because nobody knows when it's going to happen. Jesus doesn't even know. 
But God knows, and it is surely going to happen. And because we don't know when it's going to happen, we've got to be prepared. Revelation 16, 15 says, Behold, I come like a thief. Well, when does a thief come? Well, he comes unexpectedly. If you knew when he was going to be there, you'd be there and stop him. Okay? So you never know. It's unexpected. He says, Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that you may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Okay? Now, I believe he's speaking metaphorically here. Okay? But I will tell you, I sleep in pajamas. Okay? Because you want to be ready. Okay? So our first hope, our first hope is the return of Jesus Christ. Our second hope is the rapture of believers. Here's our third hope. Our third hope is the reunion. Christians will be with God forever. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together. Circle that word, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is going to be a day of reunion. This will be the day when, when, when our, our deceased loved ones, are, are, are re, we are reunited with them together. And, and more importantly, this is the day when we get to see Jesus Christ face to face. I mean, it, it's just going to be an awesome time. We will be reunited. We will meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week and about what that means. The fact that it means no more pain, no more suffering, uh, no more heartache, no more brokenness, no more disease, no more sickness, no more poverty, no starving children, no divorce, no loneliness, no, uh, no more cancer. I mean, whatever you have, whatever brings a tear to you, are, God will be there himself to wipe that tear away. I mean, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know, Maranatha, we have the hope of heaven. The, the, the Bible calls the rapture, it calls it our blessed hope. Because no matter when it happens, beginning, middle, or end, we're rescued. We're rescued. It's our hope. So what's the application? What do you do with this if you're a Christian? Uh, you know, you've still got to go to work tomorrow. You've still got bills to pay. You've still got kids with the flu. You know, you've still got responsibilities. What do you do? 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, same uh, uh, story, a different context. Okay, he's talking about the same events in a different, different setting. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We won't all die, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. You know, that's the resurrection of dead believers, and it's the rapture of living believers. And then he says, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When Christ returns, our physical bodies are going to be transformed into eternal bodies. We, we are no longer mortal. We are immortal, because we won't die. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Folks, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've stood next to a casket or stood at a graveside and, and just found great comfort in where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh, oh grave, is your sting? I mean, you may have think you've won, 
But we have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of reunion. Why? Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this does not come through our own efforts. It doesn't come through our good works. It doesn't come through us stop trying to do all the bad things and do all the good things. He gives us the victory, how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are guaranteed resurrection, we are guaranteed rapture, we are guaranteed reunion, not because of our good works, but because of our faith in Christ. Now next week we're going to talk about the fact that that our good works affect our reward. Our good works matter. But that's not what gets us into the rapture. That's not what gets us into that reunion. Here's the application of what we need to do. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. He says, keep the faith. Don't don't be overcome with dread and doom and fear. No, serve God. Serve him faithfully. Worship him. Give to him. Share the gospel. Live intensely. Live intentionally. You know, as we see the world going berserk, I don't know if you're paying attention or not, but the world is going berserk. I mean, folks, it is nuts out there, and it is nuts from the top to the bottom. You know, as we see the world going crazy, as we see this, this, this evil godlessness abounding, violence increasing, uh, you know, natural disasters and things happening, you know, those are, those are the weather signs of the season that Christ wants us to pay attention to. But as we see those things happening, it does not bring a sense of dread or doom. It should bring a sense of hope. Because we know that God knows what's going on, and God knows that we're here, and God cares about us, and Jesus Christ will return to rescue us, to resurrect us, to reunite us. We can have a tremendous amount of hope as the world's falling apart. And my prayer And I hope your prayer is similar to mine. I want to live like he's returning soon. You know, if if Jesus Christ were were to return, if I were to to know that he was coming back next Tuesday, do you think I'd live differently today and tomorrow? Yes. Now, I'm not saying he's coming back Tuesday. Don't misunderstand me, okay? But, you know, I need to live like he is because it affects how I live. I will treat people differently. I'll have a different set of priorities. I'll have a different view of sin. I'll have a different view of stuff if I recognize that Christ could return at any moment. Uh, I want to use my life intentionally and intensely to accomplish the purpose of the, of the kingdom because Maranatha, Christ, is coming. That's the application. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you that your word gives us hope in the midst of of so much doom. Thank you that you indeed have a plan and and that you have a a desire and a design for us to be with you forever. God, I would just pray that you'd help each of us to, to live our lives fully devoted to you, that we would intentionally and intensely commit ourselves to being prepared for your return. Maybe some of you are here right now and and, and there's just something going on inside of you and and you're thinking, you know, if this stuff is true, I'm not ready. If Christ were to come back today, I wouldn't be ready for him. I want to invite you in this moment just to open your heart and life to him. 
receive his forgiveness, receive the new life that he offers you, that second birth. Let him forgive you and restore you. Let him make you his child so that you're ready. You're ready for the return. You're ready for the rapture. You're going to be part of that reunion. God, we thank you for the promise that you give to us. Help us to latch on to it and hold to it intently all the way to the end. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.